Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's level one adult and pediatric trauma center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And a good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters here on CCO Radio. If you're just joining us for the first time, thank you for doing so. Your host, Dr. David Hilden, made it in this morning. I did make it Not in. Not too uh, much trouble, right? No, it wasn't too bad. You know, we're kind of used to it. But you have snow tires. I have snow tires on the Mini Cooper. There were three cars all faced in various directions on Interstate 35 this morning, not not aiming towards downtown. So people are spinning mm-hmm. out, and, and uh, there were state troopers and one of my hospital's ambulance is on the scene, so I hope really? everybody's okay. Yeah. yeah, so it took me a little longer, but it's a little bit slippery out there, folks. Um, Slow down. Yeah. So I, I heard some joke about uh, winter. It's like like we're all having this domestic quarrel with our significant other named Winter, and Winter <laughs> keeps coming back in saying, and one more thing. And one more thing. That's <laughs> one right. more thing. That's right. So well, Winter's back. You brought a special guest, a, re, a repeat guest, as a matter of fact. I did. I have Dr. Aaron Brossom. Um, I've known Aaron for many years. He's a... Uh, um, a gastroenterologist at um, that's a mouthful, isn't it? A gastroenterologist at uh, at uh, Hennepin Healthcare and HCMC where I work. Uh, he's been on staff for a number of years. He's been on the show um, a few times, although it's been a few years. So we invited him back to talk about your intestines. And you know what better way to start out a Sunday morning than to talk about your bowels? How about it? Well, it's. Uh... Yeah, you know, I don't know if you do that at a certain cocktail party, but uh, maybe you do. I bet, I bet Aaron's a riot at a cocktail party. Well, welcome back to the show, Aaron. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> what an intro! <laughs> that's a great intro. When they, when they don't work, it is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, that's actually the truth. Somebody. This is uh, again kind of a funny thing, but going into medical school, I asked some guy, you know, why 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 did you go into in, you know GI? And they said because we're your best friend when when things aren't working and we make it work again. Is that true? We we take it for granted when it works, and that, when it doesn't, it's yeah. a really big yeah, deal. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a true thing. And um, when you're when you're in digestive system, your bowels aren't working. Life is not good. And um, we'll be taking calls and text messages as usual. Absolutely, too. we are. And people, um, obviously, regular listeners, because we already have um, uh, texts uh, on the text line. They know what we're going to be talking about today. Now. Aaron, you um you do all you have a general GI practice. I'm gonna talk to about Dr. Brossom first. You have a general GI practice. You have some special focus on inflammatory bowel disease, including Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. You also do upper endoscopy. You do lower endoscopy. Let's talk a little bit about that and the things in your practice. First of all, just because it is colon cancer month, I'm gonna talk just briefly about that. Just briefly, we're gonna talk mostly about um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease today, but it is. Uh, Talk about the importance of getting your colon screened. So, you know, I think it's important that we repeat that message for cancer. Right. This is March's National Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And so we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't tell people to come in and make sure they're getting colon cancer screening if it's appropriate. And so one of the things that we do for colon cancer screening is to do a colonoscopy. Uh, there are other tests available. And, and when those are positive, you can do a colonoscopy as well. So w- whatever part of the screening you're on, we, we can help you with that. I, um, everybody who, you know, well, I shouldn't say everybody, there's always exceptions, but almost everybody should have some kind of colon cancer screening because it remains one of the most, one of the top three um, 
cancers in men and women. But the good news, the good news on colon cancer, if there's good news, is that if you catch it early or if you catch it before the lesions become cancer, you can essentially prevent it. So it's like, so that's one thing that your test does when you do a screening test. You can also prevent a future cancer if you find something, right? Correct. So the incidence of colon cancers in the United States has been going down over the past decade or so. And a lot of that is because of colonoscopy and taking out polyps before they become cancer. So if it's a screening test, you don't have any symptoms, you're coming in, we're going to do a colonoscopy, we see something abnormal, we'll take care of it. On other tests that you do, if it's abnormal, you'll come in, and then it's not really a screening test, but it's to go in and see why that test was abnormal. So that's colon cancer. Um, uh, I have another little quip I heard from somebody. I don't know, maybe it was at our place, maybe it was at some lectures. The best colon, the colon cancer screening test is the one that you'll do, <laughs> as long as you'll do it. <laughs> right. Right, and some people have some either bad experiences or fears or know somebody who had a bad time with a colonoscopy. In general, most people do really, really well. And so, if, But if it's not what you want to do, make sure that you do something else. You do something, yeah. And I just want a personal plug um, for, you know, I had my colonoscopy. I was at a, the, the right age, and so I had it, and I had it done at Hennepin by our group of gastroenterologists. And it was a breeze. Now, I don't want to say that it's going to be a breeze for everybody, but it's a breeze for most people. It's really not as bad as most people think. I don't want to minimize it for those who had a rougher experience. But for the vast majority of people, the prep is worse than the procedure. But here's the other thing I want to say about it. I had it done just before at Hennepin, just before we opened our new building. So I had it done in the old place, which was fine. It was fine. The staff was great. I mean, the staff was great, and the colonoscopist was great. But the place was fine. Well, it's not fine now. Now it's fantastic. We built a new facility, which people, listeners know about. And whenever I give tours of it, I usually show them the the GI suite where you're going to get your colonoscopy because it is state-of-the-art, and it's gorgeous. So, So that's just a little plug. If you have not had your colonoscopy, there isn't a place I would recommend doing it more highly. Come to Hennepin. Come to, go to Hennepin, hennepinhealthcare.org, and you can get your colonoscopy done. So there, we've talked about colon cancer, and that's important. because. Um, but we've done several shows on colon cancer. I'd like to shift a little bit, and if you could explain to us what the heck is inflammatory bowel disease. So inflammatory bowel disease, you've, you've already mentioned the two diseases that make, make up inflammatory bowel disease. So one is Crohn's disease. The other is ulcerative colitis. And both of them, they're, they're sister sister diseases because they're very related and Sometimes one person will have initial diagnosis of one and change to the other. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the, the the diseases themselves, they're autoimmune diseases. So the immune system, instead of attacking a bacteria or a virus, instead it's attacking your own colon or your digestive system or your intestinal tract. So autoimmune, does that mean we just don't know why? No, we do, we do know why. Well, it's kind of we know we, what's happening. We know what's happening. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. We know we know that your immune cells are attacking your colon. In the case of ulcerative colitis, in the case of Crohn's disease, it may be the colon. It may be the small intestine. It can even be the esophagus or stomach uh, as well. So, but typically, it's the small intestine and the colon for Crohn's disease. So, how how might I know if I have it? I got you know what are the symptoms that you might have of of, of the inflammatory bowel disease? So, ulcerative colitis typically would be diarrhea. And bleeding from your from your from your bottom, Crohn's disease can also be that. It can also be abdominal pain, bloating. Some of them are not very specific, but 
but abdominal pain, diarrhea. So they're both part of the same. You said family; they're like sister diseases. But do you get one? Do you get one or the other? Or do you get them both? Or you, you typically have one or the other. Yeah. And sometimes people will be diagnosed with ulcerative colitis first, and then discover later on that because of the way the way it it shows up, uh, ulcerative colitis tends to be what we call confluent, meaning it starts in the rectum and goes all the way to wherever the disease ends, and it doesn't skip any areas. Whereas Crohn's tends to skip more, and then again, it involves other other organs. Do they run in families? They do. It's not a hundred percent genetic, but there's certainly some genetic predisposition for it. it. Makes you a little bit more higher or a little bit higher risk. But so somebody can have ulcerative colitis, and then another family can have another family member can have Crohn's, and so it varies depending on. on some families have a very strong, a strong inheritance, but others. Some people are the only one in their family who have it. Yeah, and then no one else does. And I've had patients that are both younger and some that have had it for years and some older. So it, it's, is it true that you can get this when you're quite young? Yes. It, it Typically, teens, 20s, maybe early 30s is the peak. It can happen. Oh, really? Even like 18, 19, you know, teenagers? Even, even younger. Even sometimes. younger, yeah. I, I've, I know some people, again, I don't do pediatrics, but I, I know some people who even like seven years old mm-hmm. have had it. Pretty rare to be that young. But teens, 20s, like I said, into the early 30s is the peak, the main peak. And then there's a little break for a while. And then in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, it starts to come up, but much smaller incidence at that point. I'm going to, um, we're, gonna, we're talking uh, with Dr. Aaron Brossom about uh, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the text line because this is one that came on before the show. And it talks about the autoimmune nature. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to comment on this. Um, Here's a person who says, I've had ulcerative colitis for 29 years. I'm taking Imuran and now I'm in deep remission. Last year, I was diagnosed with spinal myelitis at T4. My gastroenterologist says they're both part of my autoimmune disease and other episodes can happen. Can you comment on this? And Is there anything I could do to prevent this? The colitis is under control with the medication, but the myelitis just showed up and I feel helpless. So our autoimmune diseases, if you get one, can you get others? I guess that's what that texture might be trying to say. You certainly can have different manifestations of the inflammatory bowel disease, and it can involve other areas of the body. So sometimes people have joint pain, spondyl. I can't even. I'm not even going to spondyl- say spondyl. Okay, no, I can't say it. Either. Spondyloarthropathies. <laughs> Arthropathies. There we go. Uh, it's daylight savings. Right. <laughs> it is early. It's early. <laughs> so you can have hip pain, back pain, you can have joint pains in your knees, your fingers, your elbow. I mean, it can be anywhere. You can get skin rashes. And this texture has an inflammatory problem of their spine. And and the hard thing is is that sometimes, like the person who sent the message, you can have total control over your your bowels. Your your ulcerative colitis or your Crohn's disease may be doing well, but the others can can flare and it has to be treated. And so we often, it can be a multidisciplinary approach where we're actually working with a rheumatologist who can help us with that as well. Right. There's so many of those autoimmune diseases that I've talked about over the years on the show. You know, we talk about some diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis and thyroid. It can be all over your body. So autoimmune is sort of this this underlying process where your immune system's attacking your own body. We're going to take a break. Is that right, Denny? That's right. We'll uh, come back with more. Keep in mind, we'll be uh, taking your phone calls and text messages here on the show this morning, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Light snow and fog, our current CCO temperature reading 27. And welcome back to this edition of Healthy Matters. And your host again is Dr. David Hilden. 
Thanks, Denny. We're talking to Dr. Aaron Brossom about uh, inflammatory bowel disease during this segment of the show. He's a gastroenterologist at Hennepin Healthcare. I want to, um, before we go to the phones and talk a little bit more about that, I do want to switch gears just briefly to tell you about an event that's coming this Wednesday. And I'll repeat this information in the second half of the show. This Wednesday at noon, I will be there as well as a whole bunch of brain injury experts at our clinic and specialty center for an Ask the Brain Injury Expert session. It goes from noon to one um, because March, in addition to being colon cancer month, is also traumatic brain injury month. And we have a specialty practice in traumatic brain injury at Hennepin. So there really aren't any better TBI experts than we have. So if you want to um, come and talk to a brain injury expert, the event is this coming Wednesday at noon, and um, I'll be there. Although I'm not the brain injury expert, I'm just there to. I'm hoping there's donuts or something. So I'll be there, and I'd love to meet you though. If you can't be there, join us on Twitter because it'll be live tweeted out with using the hashtags TBI Month and TBI Chat. So I hope you can be there. If not, join us by Twitter. And for more information, go to hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash TBI Month. Traumatic Brain Injury Month. I'll say more about that in the second half of the show. Denny, should we go to the yeah, phones? let's do that. Uh, I believe Gary in St. Louis Park is first up here. Gary, thanks for waiting. Hi, good morning, Dr. Hilden and Denny. Um, I'm 65 years old, doctor, and I started doing, at age 50, the regular colonoscopies. And the first time they found a polyp there, it was benign, and they removed it. And I've faithfully done it every five years since then. The question I have is I wonder if you can talk a little bit about these mail-in uh, colon tests, if they're worth checking into or if it's just best to go see the, the gastroenterologist. Hey, Gary, thanks, uh, thanks a million for listening and for your call. Uh, Dr. Brazum, what do you think, Aaron? So I would make sure that uh, he brings it up with his doctor because his situation may be a little bit You're right, a right. little bit different. Uh, the the mail-in tests, this there's a couple of them. So one of them is what we call the fecal immunochemistry test. So it's a FIT. FIT. Uh, it has some other names, some trade names, like IFOB is the one that we use. And so if, if people hear about an IFOB, it's really the same test. Basically, it's looking for blood in the stool, and it's a test that you can take at home where you take a stool sample and, and poke a little stick into it and send it in. There's another one, and I'm blanking on the name right now, the... Um, the one that looks for the genetics? Yeah, the, the, it's a stool DNA. Cologuard, thank you, yeah, right, the, the trade name. Right? And no, that's a, a trade name, yeah. It's a stool, stool DNA test, and and it combines. it's also combined with a FIT as well. And so it looks for not only blood in the stool, but it also looks for, for abnormal DNA. So colon cancer. Sort of was, like the footprint of the cancer. In right. So, so colon cancer will go through a number of different genetic changes that changes the colon cells from normally growing to abnormal growth and aggressive growth. And so they look for those for very small. They can find very small traces of that in the stool. So they're they're great tests. And like we were talking about earlier, if you're having, if if you don't want to do a colonoscopy or if you want to do something else, the problem not the problem the the thing you have to know about the other tests is that you just have to do them more often. So the fit by itself needs to be done every year. This the colagard needs to be done every three years is the recommendation. And you know, and it, it's kind of one of those do the tests that you'll do. Right. Now, after you've had a polyp, this is the reason why I said he needs to talk to his doctor, is that after you've had a polyp, some of those tests aren't appropriate anymore because you've already shown that you're going to grow polyps. 
And if you have one, you're more likely to get more in the future, and that's where the colonoscopy comes in. Because if either of those tests are positive, you should have a colonoscopy. Right. It's, it strikes me, and I guess it might matter what Gary's polyps are, because when you get one, they send them to a pathologist to see if it was just a little benign tissue or if it was the, pre, the kind that tend to be precancerous. It strikes me as if you already have polyps. Yeah, maybe keep doing the colonoscopy in general, and, and it depends. It sounds like he's done a few of them, and so yeah. maybe if they weren't, again, it, it's one of those things where you have to take a case by case basis. Right. The size of the polyp matters, the kind of polyp matters, and and so it's. But it's certainly worth asking. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, Gary. Thank you for that. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Dave is calling from Jackson, I believe, with uh, a question. Uh, go ahead, Dave. You're on CCO. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. My question is. Uh, does medical marijuana help in the treatment of cancer? Okay, thanks for your call, Dave. Did you want to tackle that one, Aaron? So the yes, the treatment of cancer, which um, you know certainly has there's there are some indications for medical marijuana in the state of Minnesota for for cancer pain, but it's more for the it's for the the symptoms that you get. It doesn't treat the cancer itself. There are a lot of claims about what it'll do, and, and proponents of the medical marijuana will say that it'll, it'll treat. It's, you know, it has some medicinal properties in addition to the anti-nausea and the um, hunger. Right. Creation of hunger. Right. 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 Uh, that's certainly there. There's another indication about what we're talking about today as well. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis have an in- indication as well in the state of Minnesota for the medical marijuana program. So it's one of the on the approved list of diagnoses for medical marijuana I'm in, sure in Crohn's Minnesota. is. I'm not, yep. I'm, now that I think about it, I'm not sure off the top of my mm-hmm. head if, if ulcerative colitis is. You have to, be a, you have to go to a, a doctor who's credentialed in the system. It's actually quite, quite a bureaucratic nightmare to sign up and then to administer. And so, so I personally am not a prescriber of medical marijuana, but I, I do see how some of my patients who are on it, they really feel like they benefit from it, it from their relief. symptoms. Now, whether, again, it, it helps with inflammation or the actual process itself, because it's a federally restricted drug, it, it doesn't have a lot of studies for it. So a lot of it is is more on anecdote. Tell you what, let's do this. Uh, I know Susie's calling from Venice, Florida. Uh, Susie, let's get your question uh, posed. And good morning, by the way. We're, uh, we're, we're up against the clock. So let's hear your question. Then we'll answer it after the break. What do you say? Oh, all right. I'll do it really fast. As a follow-up to a colonoscopy, if a person um, has an endoscopy and multiple ulcers are discovered, and surprisingly to the patient, uh, would you discuss ulcers and what that means and how this pantropozole works on those ulcers and how you're supposed to know if you don't have them anymore? Great question. So you're talking about ulcers in the upper GI tract in your stomach or your your your, your small intestine. She's talking about proton pump inhibitors um, uh, like pantoprazole. We will talk about your um, that question. We're going to write it down so we don't forget. We'll talk to, about Susie's question after the break. Um, uh, and so be sure to keep listening uh, into that. We're talking to Dr. Aaron Brossom of Hennepin Healthcare's gastroenterology department about your intestines. We've been focusing on inflammatory bowel disease, and we have a lot more to talk about after the break. We'll talk about that. We'll try to answer more text questions, and we hope you'll stay tuned. Very good. Thank you, Susie, for uh, for the call, and we'll talk more after the break. We'll have another half hour of the show to go, so uh, don't go away. Uh, Snow mainly before... uh, 
8 should be just about wrapped up, but a patchy blowing snow. Highs near 30 today, and we'll have gusts as high as 30 miles an hour as well. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Danny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden. Internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters. Uh, Dr. David Hilden, your host. And if you're just joining us, uh, Dr. Hilden, uh, you have brought a, a special guest, a repeat guest. Indeed, I have. We're talking uh, with Dr. Aaron Brossom. He is a gastroenterologist at Hennepin Healthcare and HCMC, where I work. And we're talking about a variety of problems with your intestines, most notably Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, a little bit about colon cancer and some other things thrown in as well. Um, I want to repeat a couple of the announcements I made in the first half of the show. First of all, I gave the, uh, a little pitch for getting your colonoscopy because this is Colon Cancer Month. And you know that our clinic and specialty center has been open for one year. We have still the best staff and doctors, but now we also have the best facility to go along with it. And if you uh, are in need of a colonoscopy, and that's a lot of you out there, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, If you want to get it done, here's the number, 612-873-6963. You can always go to hennepinhealthcare.org as well. But that number is 612-873-6963 to schedule a colonoscopy. The other thing is this coming Wednesday, just four days from now, is our Ask the Brain Injury Expert event at the Clinic and Specialty Center. We're going to have a bunch of experts from our brain injury team. They'll be on hand to answer your questions about treating concussions, how to recognize signs and symptoms of brain injury, and there'll be much more. I'll be there. I hope to see you there to shake your hand. It's this coming Wednesday at noon at, on uh, 8th and Park Avenue in downtown Minneapolis. Parking is underground and right at the building. You don't have to uh, uh, be out in the elements. So you just take the elevator right up. That's this Wednesday. If you can't uh, be there, follow us on Twitter with the hashtag TBI Month or TBI Chat. For more information, again, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash TBI month. Okay, Dr. Aaron Brossom, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We're talking about irritable bowel disease, or not, I'm sorry, we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease, but I do want to follow up on Susie's question. Susie was calling us from the Gulf Coast of Florida, I think. Susie, you're smarter than us. You're down there <laughs> down there in Florida, but uh, a, a CCO listener from uh, um, listening in, she asked a question about ulcers. Um, that she had seen on her endoscopy, and um, she was put on pantoprazole. Could you unpack a little of that for us, Aaron? Sure. So what she's really talking about is peptic ulcer disease, and that's a disease that can affect the stomach. It's just stomach ulcers. People are very familiar with those. It's a little bit different than I always distinguish a little bit because sometimes people get confused with ulcerative colitis, which is not about the same thing. It's not ulcers in the in this stomach are separate from from that disease by itself, but uh, ulcers in the stomach are very common, and it sounds like she was put on a, a PPI. Pantoprazole is the name of the of the drug I think that she used. And basically, ulcers in the stomach 
can cause pain, they can cause bleeding, they can have no symptoms at all, and they, they have a variety of different causes, but the, the underlying cause is acid in the stomach, and acid in the stomach helps, or it, it damages the cells in the, in the stomach, and, and therefore can cause an ulcer. There also can be infections, like with a bacteria called H. pylori. That's one of the other things as well. And so, when you when you do an endoscopy, that can diagnose an upper endoscopy that can diagnose ulcers, and we can take biopsies and figure out why why it's happening. In some cases, other cases not. And so, we put you on if you have the H. pylori bacteria, we'll treat that infection. Otherwise, we put you on a proton pump inhibitor or PPI that blocks the acid in the stomach. And that will eventually heal the stomach. Often with a stomach ulcer, we need to go back and look and make sure it's healed because cancer can be one of the causes of ulcers, pretty rare, and that will not heal with, with a PPI typically. And so it's a little complicated, but, but not too bad. The, the PPI basically will get rid of the acid, usually make you feel better, and, and you know, once we confirm that it's getting better, that's usually the end of it. Do you have to take the PPI or the antacid for a long time? Depends on the cause. Uh, sometimes it can be for the rest of your life. Sometimes you can wean down off of it or get onto a different med that can help with the acid suppression as well. Thank you for your call, Susie. Um, that was a good summary, I think, Aaron. Um, before we go to the phones, I want to tie up a couple loose ends on inflammatory bowel disease. So we talked about it can happen in the teens and 20s and 30s. It's a chronic disease. It's an autoimmune disease. It's an inflammatory disease of your intestines. What about treatments for it? So we have a number of different treatments. Some are old, some are new, and they have different levels of effectiveness depending on your on your disease. So we can start as simple as something like an anti-inflammatory medicine. So uh, sulfasalazine, mesalamine, there's a bunch of different ones, but the, the biggest ones that we use right now are, are called mesalamine, and they have different trade names like Azacol, Delzacol, Lialda, a bunch of different names. Those typically, it's just like a topical aspirin in your colon. Basically, it doesn't get absorbed anywhere else, and it, it just sits in the colon, and, and it coats the colon, basically, with an anti-inflammatory medicine, which reduces the inflammation. And for a lot of people, that, that can be enough to treat it. But then after we go from there, then you need to do some immunosuppressant drugs, so, so drugs that suppress the immune system. We start with our, our oldest drug is probably prednisone, or one of the oldest drugs is prednisone. It has a lot of side effects, but it does a nice job of, of tamping down the immune system, Unfortunately, it tamps down the whole immune system. Got some side effects, eh? It has a lot of side effects, diabetes, glaucoma, a bunch of different things that can happen with it, especially Weight with gain gives you the munchies. Very hungry, difficult to sleep, irritability, uh, acne, you name it. It's not a, great, it. not a great drug. It wouldn't be approved as a new drug, I don't think, right now if we were to bring right. it to market. But right. it, does, it does a nice job for a lot of people, especially it acts quickly. And so that's one we, that we'll often use. And, and we, but we have developed other drugs to suppress the immune system a little bit more specifically and to try to avoid using prednisone more than, more than we need to. So there's lots of newer drugs for these. Lots of newer drugs. And so there are drugs, uh, 6-MP or azathioprine is one of the next tier of drugs, or methotrexate. We use those. And then, and then the, more, the newest drugs are the biologic, biologic drugs. And so they're actual antibodies that we've developed in the your body develops antibodies to fight off viruses, but we've developed in the lab to fight off the chemicals in your body. So some of them fight off a, a, a chemical called TNF, and that's a tumor necrosis factor. It's a chemical that causes inflammation, specifically in the Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis pathway. So we use those. That's, that's a drug like 
They they have really tough names, infliximab and adalibumab. Yeah, they and, always end in, they have too many syllables, too many consonants, and they end in A-B or I-B. They're so, ridiculously hard to say. So it's Remicade, Inflectra, Humira, Simzia, those kind of drugs that you might have seen some commercials for. Yeah, they advertise a lot. Some of them are in, in generic form now, and so the, like the Inflectra is a generic form of Remicade. And then we have some more specific drugs that we've been using more often lately uh, that, that are more GI-specific. Uh, that that those other drugs hit the whole entire body, a little bit more specific to the pathway of the Crohn's, but then we have other ones that are more GI specific, and and we have some new ones for uh, ulcerative colitis that are pills even that are a little bit more active, very expensive of course because they're new drugs and that's what happens. That's what even happens. old drugs get expensive now apparently, and um, so. But but very effective drugs. But there's for a most lot. People. You have a lot of treatment options. Right, and 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 they can be. I've I've. When I put a patient on it, it, it's really what we were talking about at the beginning, where you take it take it for granted that you're doing well, and when you aren't doing well, it's a really big deal. So I've had some patients who are unable to work, having a pretty miserable life. Right. Start them on one of on one of the medications, and within you know a month or two, they're back to getting back to where they were, and and certainly six to twelve months, I see a remarkable improvement. I'm going to ask you a question about the connection with these inflammatory bowel diseases and colon cancer. And I'm going to do that because here is a text from a, from a listener. It says, my granddaughter has Crohn's disease for, for two years. What is the incidence of colon cancer in Crohn's disease? She is 22. So there is an increased risk of colon cancer with inflammatory bowel disease, either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, when it involves the colon. So if Crohn's disease isn't involving the colon... Then it doesn't. the The risk of colon cancer isn't isn't increased. It's just a normal. Well, that's a key point because Crohn's disease doesn't always involve the colon. Correct. Okay. It can be just the small intestine or other areas, but typically just the small intestine if it's not in the colon. And, but if it does involve the colon, then then your risk of cancer increases. And we actually start doing colonoscopies earlier and more often. So typically after about seven or eight years with somebody who has ulcerative colitis that's involving at least half of the colon or, or all of it or Crohn's disease that's involving the colon, that's when we start to do colonoscopies where we're actually looking very closely and, and taking a lot of biopsies as we're going through the colon. So this young woman who's 22 should not wait until the normal screening guidelines. When we say get your colonoscopy at age 50, we're talking about average people um, without Crohn's disease. Um, right, and no family history. And no family history. That's for average No, no symptoms. This person should get it much younger. Right. So probably after after about eight years of, of – if it's involving the colon with Crohn's disease, then it'll be eight years. That yeah, so she, if she's 22, and let's just say she was diagnosed now, and she had colon involvement of her Crohn's, she should get her colon looked at at age 30. Correct. That's what the guidelines would say. Yeah. Now, each individual is a little bit different, of course. Right, right, but, right. But, and I, you know, that's a hypothetical. But it's I don't a guideline. know when she was yep. diagnosed. Okay, right. great. Thank you for that question. We need to uh, take a, a break, but we have more show to come. We have callers. We have texters. Uh, and we'll get your questions answered when we come back. Light snowfall and fog reported here in the Twin Cities. Our temperature reading, 25 degrees. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. Here again is your host, Dr. David Hill. And as you can see, doctor, we have callers, we have texters, uh, and a bunch of them. We do. I'll try to get to a few of these with Dr. Brossom. Um, here's one that I have to read just because when you, when you preface a, a text like this, I have to read it. It says, from a fellow Washburnite who knows me. All right, they didn't identify themselves, but someone who went to my high school, Washburn High School, go Millers. Um, here's the question. 
Had my first colonoscopy last year at age 52. It was easy and painless. Prep was the worst part, but again, it wasn't bad. But now I've been diagnosed with Barrett esophagus. It's minor, but it's present. Is this common? Aaron, talk about Barrett esophagus, could you? So Barrett esophagus is fairly rare. I mean, I see a bunch of it, but I'm also a gastroenterologist, so you expect me to see a bunch of it. Yeah, I don't see it that much. I have a couple patients with it. Yeah. And so it's it's often – so it's in the esophagus, first of all, just to make sure that we're aware we're in the right area of the body. But it, it it's often formed we, – we think it forms in the response to chronic acid reflux into the esophagus. And basically what it is is where the, the normal lining of the, the esophagus is great for protecting itself against uh, friction and other things that are coming through, but it's not very good at protecting itself against acid. And so what it does is it changes into more – of a intestinal or stomach type of mucosa or lining that's a little bit more protective against against acid. Now that change is great, it protects itself, but it also changes the genetics of the cell a little bit and it makes it more likely to then go from what we call metaplasia, which is just where it changes from one to another, to dysplasia, which is a precancerous change. And so we we do endoscopies, and we go in and take samples every few years, depending, again, on what so you find. So that's what this person should do. Every few years, you go back and take a look. Right. With no signs of dysplasia, it's typically every three years. If you have some signs of dysplasia, which is the precancerous changes, then we then we have some other treatments that we might try or, or more frequent monitoring, depending on, on the case. And so, again, it can turn into cancer. That's why we care about it. Don't it. ignore it. but Don't ignore it. We And it's for people who have, you know, years of, of reflux. Okay. Let's go to a couple other things. Here's, there's a couple th- uh, about diverticula. Um, and so uh, uh, I'm going to read them. One of them says, at my last colonoscopy, I was told I had diverticulosis. Discuss that. And then here's another one that says um, along the same kind of line. Uh, uh, well, where did it go? There was an, Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. I've already lost it. Um, oh, here it is. It says, I'm a 62-year-old female. My father had colon cancer. My last colonoscopy had to be aborted due to diverticulitis, making it a danger to continue even with a pediatric scope was sent for a barium x-ray, which was humiliating. Um, are there any other tests? So could you say a little bit about what, what are these listeners talking about? What are diverticulosis? So sure, diverticulosis. So you said diverticula, diverticulosis, diverticulitis. Yeah, what's all that? They're all good Latin terms, right, for medicine. And so, so diverticulosis is just the presence of diverticula. And so, or diverticula, it's a diverticulum is the is the is singular. Singular. It's like so, a Latin lesson today. Right. So diverticulosis is basically... The pockets that form in the colon and weak spots in the in the in the colon itself, and so those are, that weak spot is where some arteries come from to supply blood to the to the colon, and so where that comes through the lining of the colon, it's a little weak there, and and so for some reason we don't either from increased pressure in the colon or or however it goes, little pockets form, and so they're they look like holes on the inside of the colon, they look like. From the outside, they look like you took your pocket and you flipped it out of your pants, and so they kind of hang out like that. When you're doing a colonoscopy, because, you know, Dr. Brossom, he's the guy at the other end of the, col- the colonoscope. Do you, do you get worried about them, or do you just pass them by? We, we typically pass them by. They can make the, the test a little bit more painful for people because in that area, it's a little more sensitive to pressure. So when we're putting air in to open it up, it's a little more sensitive. So sometimes we'll even use water instead of air because it doesn't put as much pressure in the area to, to go through that area. Huh. The, 
we can see them. It can make it difficult because it can be hard to tell. You know, they're big holes. They can be small holes. They can be big and holes. Because this can... texter said they couldn't get even a small size pediatric sculpt. I wonder if she had inflammation. You know, she used so the word diverticulitis. diverticulitis. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So coming through that, but so yeah, they can make it harder because it can be narrowed or more stiff. There's it technically can make it a little bit more difficult. So the difference between diverticulosis, which is just the presence of these pockets, and diverticulitis is where that's a complication of diverticulosis where the the, the pocket itself has has gotten either filled or, or blocked and it actually gets inflamed and can actually does a little what we call a micro perforation where the it actually pops a little bit. And so that can cause abdominal pain. Now for a colonoscopy standpoint, if you have diverticulitis, you have a hole in your colon already and it's going to your abdomen. And so when we go in we don't want to push a whole bunch of air and, mm. and cause it a problem. So that mm. can be that's why you might stop if you have diverticulitis. Otherwise, it sounds maybe that or maybe uh, it was just difficult to get through because of... But that gets better, right? You, you treat it with antibiotics and that can get better. Or in the worst case scenario, you do surgery to take that part of the colon out. So this texture, you know, maybe they don't need any other tests, you know, at this point. For, for, a, colon, for a colon, you, you have a couple choices. Say, if you, if you can't do a colonoscopy, you have a couple choices. One would be a barium enema, which it sounds like that person had uh, the other person the other option would be a, a virtual colonoscopy or a ct colonography where we where it, it's a tough test too but but it's another test that okay. can screen uh for those of you still on the phone waiting and those of you who sent text messages that we didn't get to i thank you for listening and thank you for sending them in we just never can get to everything but we are running out of time and as it's always a fact aaron brossom from the hennepin um, department of gastroenterology great having you on the show aaron thanks great to be here um, we'll have to get you back on because we got a lot more, a lot more to talk about in your intestines. If you want to see Dr. Brossom or anybody in our GI lab, get your colon um, looked at. Get your colonoscopy. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family members. Um, the number to do it is six one two eight seven three sixty nine sixty three, or you can go to hennepinhealthcare.org, as always. But the number for um, to schedule is six one two eight seven three my md. And I hope to see many of you at our clinic and specialty center at 8th and Park um, on uh, downtown Minneapolis this coming Wednesday for our Ask the Brain Injury Expert event. I will be there just to say hi and to make small talk, but the brain injury experts will be there. That's this coming Wednesday, downtown Minneapolis. The event is free at noon. And what do we have coming up next week's show? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, you kidding, I'm kidding. Oh. You, Jen. I'm <laughs> well, kidding. I, We're going to talk about poison. I was going to make something up. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about poison prevention, exposures, overdoses, stings, and other interesting things. All right, very good. We'll see you next week. Light snow falling, CCO temperature reading 25.